I don't know what you, you think of when you hear someone talk about a spiritual community. I did a, um, a Google search on that phrase um, and uh, I suspect that the answer that I got reflects something of what most people think of when they think of a spiritual community. Top of the list was the Findhorn community in North East Scotland. They practice spiritual techniques like channeling and uh, meditation and they're also an eco-community. You can't be a spiritual community and not, not be in touch with, uh, with, with nature and the earth these days. Second on the list um, was a website called theosera.com a website to help people know how deeply connected we all are promotes Buddhism, astrology, dream interpretation and much more. And on the list went 21 million web pages advertising spiritual communities. To be honest, if I think of a spiritual community, I probably think of people speaking in hushed tones, walking around wreathed in otherworldly smiles or bowed in meditation, um, perhaps a little bit of ethereal music drifting across from who knows where. I don't think of us. In all our um, rough and readiness, in all our mixture, in all our ordinariness. But the Bible says that's exactly where I would be wrong. A spiritual community is something quite different from what the world thinks of often as a, as, as a spiritual community. A true spiritual community says the Bible, says the Apostle Paul in, in, in 1 Corinthians, a true spiritual community is actually people like us. Last week we saw that he says a true spiritual person and a true community of spiritual people is first and foremost a a person or a community that believes and trusts certain things. Certain pretty simple things. Pretty straightforward things. Paul summarised it by, um, uh, by that phrase, Jesus is Lord. If you believe that Jesus is Lord, then you are a spiritual person. You are a person in whom the Holy Spirit has worked. Of course, there should be signs that accompany that. We saw that uh, uh, last week. There should be evidence to, to support that. But fundamentally... What makes a human being a spiritual person is that they have seen that Jesus Christ is the Son of God 
and have acknowledged with their, in, in their, in, with their voice, with their heart, with their mind, with their lives, that he is Lord. Other people may be very impressive, they may, 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 may impress in all sorts of ways, but if they haven't seen and acknowledged this most fundamental thing, then we cannot say that they have truly um, uh, been touched by the Spirit of God. You might say all sorts of other good things about them. But they are not people in whom the Spirit of God dwells. Because when he dwells in a heart, he always enables that heart to worship Jesus as Lord. And of course, we here know ourselves to be the opposite, to be deeply unimpressive people. We're slightly embarrassed to have the label of spiritual hanging over us because we know actually how inadequate we are. Well, the Bible says to us, actually if God has shown you Jesus, if there is something that has changed in your heart so that you worship Jesus and you are prepared to, to, to commit the rest of your life to honouring him as Lord, if, you, if he has prompted you to ask for forgiveness for all of your sins based on Jesus' death on the cross for your sins. If God has done that in your heart, then he has done something profound that makes you a spiritual person, a person in whom the Holy Spirit dwells. No matter how unimpressive you are, That was what we uh, learned last week and, and we must settle that deep in our hearts. The Apostle Paul was writing to a church, the church in Corinth, that in fact didn't have that on its, settled in its heart at all. It had a few people who they labelled as superheroes, spiritual heroes, who were venerated as the truly spiritual ones, and all of the rest of them just sat and in amazement. And Paul says, that's rubbish. Every single one of you, if you are a true believer in Jesus Christ, is exactly equal. All of you. You are all spiritual people, he says, if you say Jesus is Lord. But of course, there's another issue. Another issue which is his major issue in 1 Corinthians 12 to, to 14 that uh, he now turns from verse 4 onwards to address. Okay, we get that, perhaps. But still there are greatly gifted people, aren't there? And lesser gifted. Still there are the elite who um, have all these amazing gifts from God and the ordinary people, the ungifted people. Paul says no to that too. That, from God's perspective, that is not how it works. 
We are not to venerate some people as if they are on a different plane and denigrate others as uh, simply uh, pew fodder. No, we, we must understand if we are to be a true spiritual community what it means to be a gifted community. That's what he begins to address uh, uh, in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 4 and we're going to look down to uh, verse 11 and then consider again for the rest of the chapter uh, next week. But, but, but for now we, we just need to sketch the, the, the big picture that the Apostle sketches out for us in these first verses. How are we to understand the uh, issue of gifts amongst us. Corinthian church, they separated out a few gifted people and said they are the ones and the rest of us simply count ourselves lucky to be in their presence. Paul says that is absolutely wrong. I want to show you it's five things that Paul says in these verses about what actually, how a spiritual community, a true community of the living God deals with gifts. First thing he said, he says, is that a true community of the living God actually honours God as the source of all gifts doesn't adulate those individual gifted people. It says it, it honours God. Paul says, points that out again and again and again. Let me read verses 8 and 9 to you to just get a flavour of it. To the one person there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom, to another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. And, uh, uh, and so on. The same Spirit gives every gift, all sorts of different gifts. It's not that, not that there are, there are um, uh, uh, different people who are perhaps more in touch with God. Every single believer has access to the same Spirit and gifts from the same Spirit. One Spirit the same Spirit has gifted the whole of God's church. Or he puts it another way in verses 4 to 6. Um, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit, he says. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. He uses a specifically Trinitarian formula, doesn't he? He says everyone, everyone actually is gifted by the same Spirit. That's what he said in verse 8 and 9 as well. But everybody's, uh, everybody's serving the same Lord, Jesus. The same. And uh, everybody, in fact, is empowered by the same God, the Father. There's only one Trinitarian God, Father, Son and Spirit. And he is the one 
who gifts the whole church, who, uh, whom the whole church serves, who empowers the whole church. And God distributes those gifts. Now this is, this is vitally important because he's now getting on to, to the issue that really he wants to address. God, God himself, distributes those gifts, verse 11, just as he determines. They are all the work of the one Spirit. He gives them to each one just as he determines. So, your gifts and mine do not originate with you. The other person's gift whom you so admire did not originate with them. Above you and above them is an all-wise God who has made his decisions according to his infinite wisdom. And that is vitally important for us to understand. I, I, I think we don't have that in our culture. Or, or to, let's put it another way. I think we have the remnants of that in our culture without the substance of it. We often speak of people as gifted, don't we? Well, what do you think when you think of a gifted person? We think of a great person, a big person, an impressive person. We actually think exactly the opposite of what the Word says. The Word says they've been given a gift. The New Testament makes it plain it's a grace gift. It's not because they deserved it. It is because God is gracious and generous. A gifted person is a person just like absolutely everybody else and yet somehow God in his wisdom has, has chosen to bestow on them a particular ability and it in no way raises that person above anybody else. They are simply the recipient of a gift. They can praise God for it, they can thank God for it, the rest of us can. But never ever have in your mind that makes them a great person. They're a gifted person. That's what the word means. And yet our society has just emptied that term of its real meaning. Or um, have you noticed how whenever not quite whenever, but uh, often when people are um, given a, a prize or an award for their achievements, they stand up at the front and they say, I am deeply humbled. President Obama has said that this week when he got the um, Nobel uh, 
Peace Prize and there may have been something uh, real in that phrase but frankly most people use that phrase as a simple convention. Why are you humbled when you've just got got an award for some great achievement? Most people think in their hearts and everybody else agrees. I've been recognised as a great person. Once upon a time, people said that because they realised they weren't. And yet a God who was sovereign over their life had somehow been kind enough to give them the ability, the opportunity to do something good. And they stood there deeply humbled because they knew that without that gracious God they could do nothing. And they felt deeply the inappropriateness of the applause. I think that aspect of I am deeply humbled has almost been emptied out of our culture. And yet it is profoundly what we need to feel if God gives us a gift, an ability before him. This, this is a very gifted group of people. Yeah. And I mean gifted in the fully biblical sense. We are a very ordinary group of people who do not deserve the amazing abilities that God confers on numbers of people around here. <coughs> Do not ever let those abilities that you may have make your heart proud. What do you have? The Apostle said back in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. What do you have which you did not receive? Answer, nothing. Don't be proud then. Recognise God as the source of all gifts. And also don't despise other gifts. Because they're not perhaps as impressive as the gifts that you have. Don't despise um, uh, the other, other gifts in other people. God chooses to distribute his gifts exactly as he chooses to. If you are despising the gifts in other people, you are despising God who made a wise decision about how he should distribute his gifts. Don't envy those with greater gifts uh, uh, than you. If you are saying, I wish I had that gift, why haven't I got that gift? you are questioning the wisdom of the living God. God, God at every point has decided what gifts should um, be given to you and what should be given to others in his wisdom. Spiritual community then 
honours God as the source of all gifts. He has chosen in his sovereignty to give you the abilities you have and others the ability they have. We are brought together as we jointly honour that wisdom in him. And then a spiritual community celebrates or, and uses as well and, and, and makes good use of the diversity of gifts that there are. Did you notice the sort of different dimensions that there are to gifts in verses 4 to 6? Um, first of all, he speaks specifically about gifts. There are different kinds of gifts, he says but the same spirit. And then, I think, actually talking about exactly the same thing in verse 5, he says there are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. And then I think, talking about exactly the same thing again in verse 6, he says there are different kinds of working, or, or empowering, but the same God. In other words, those are different dimensions of the same thing. God it gives you abilities, God gives you opportunities for service, and God empowers you. Um, they're, they're, those are just different ways of looking actually at exactly the same thing. Then on the subject of gifts, he expands and gives this, this list of different abilities that people may be given by the one spirit. And... Um, uh, rather than look at every one in, in detail, I want to make a few observations of those, um, uh, those gifts from the Spirit in verses 7 and onwards. First of all, it's very, very important to realise that this is not a comprehensive list. When you look at uh, lists of gifts given by the Spirit elsewhere, you'll find that they're different. Um, you will also um, find as well, if you look carefully at, these, um, at this list, Paul seems to be emphasising particular gifts that may have been of particular interest to the Corinthians. So they were very into wisdom, for instance. So he speaks about a word of wisdom. They were very into knowledge. So he speaks, uh, so, uh, speaks of, of knowledge and uh, of course we know and we'll see more in future weeks that they were into uh, tongues and prophecy and, and so on. So he's not using a comprehensive gift, he's just picking out the gifts that they are particularly interested in and he's saying, yeah, God does distribute those various gifts around. It's not a comprehensive list. Elsewhere, Martin Grote will be delighted to um, know that there's the gift of giving, financial giving. Um, and, uh, and me, I live off you. Um, uh, or, 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 or more mundane gifts of sort of administration, it seems, and, uh, and so on. And it seems likely and reasonable to suggest that actually all the gifts that are specifically mentioned in the New Testament is not a comprehensive gift, list. Um, they're just randomly picked, it seems, for different circumstances, different ones are mentioned. There's no reason why we should think that is a comprehensive gift of all the gifts that God gives to his people. He gives infinite variety of gifts 
some of them in this, uh, this list, it's not entirely clear what they are. For instance, um, there's a, a message of knowledge or a word of knowledge mentioned in, uh, in verse 8. And um, uh, despite what uh, some commentators uh, suggest, I just don't think we know with confidence what, uh, what that is. Make a stab at it, but it's not defined with precision. Um, there's some slightly confusing ones. For instance, verse 9, another person is given faith by the same Spirit. Well, the Bible makes it plain that all Christians have faith. That is, that is one of the de- defining aspects of what it means to be a Christian. So, so, in what sense is this sort of distributed to some people and not to all here? Probably the best suggestion there is that the, the New Testament speaks of a, of a separate gift of faith, which is, which is a bit different from saving faith. Saving faith is trusting in Jesus, but there, is, there, there, there seems to be in one or two places a gift of faith that is an ability to understand the mind of God and to trust the mind of God, uh, tr- tr- trust in some more specific thing. Jesus says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, throw yourself into the sea uh, and it will happen. And some suggest that that's the, that is the gift of faith, i.e. if you know the mind of God and are given the, given the gift of trusting in some specific providence, and it doesn't matter how extraordinary that thing is, if it's the will of God, it'll happen. But I'd be the first to say I'm not absolutely confident about that. It's a suggestion. We just can't quite define what each of those gifts is. Perhaps we don't need to. Another thing to say about these, the, the, these um, gifts is that they are all miraculous. They are all given specifically by God for his people. And some of them, of course, are obviously miraculous. Um, He speaks of gifts of healing, for instance. It seems seems an ability which which has been seen down through the ages in the church that some people simply are, are, are enabled by God to be the, the sort of vessels of, of healing for others. Obviously miraculous. Um, it seems tongues that we won't look at this week, it'll be several weeks off, um, are, uh, are a miraculous gift of God. Some of them are not so obviously miraculous. When... Uh, Paul speaks, for instance, about a message of wisdom or a word of wisdom coming through the Spirit. If it's wisdom, you can imagine someone just being, saying, my experience is that we should do so and so. Paul doesn't want to diminish the Spirit, the source of that is the Spirit even if it doesn't look very miraculous. The Spirit is absolutely in control and gives wisdom 
words of wisdom to his people. Another thing to say about these, uh, these gifts, they may not be, all of them, settled abilities. An awful lot of um, uh, uh, energy in people's uh, lives goes into discovering what their gifts are. And there, may, there, there, there certainly is some value in that. But not every gift that God gives to his people um, does he give through some sort of settled, steady ability that that person has for the rest of their life. It seems, um, um, for instance, amongst the first ones, they are just simple one-offs. To one there is given through the Spirit the message or a word of wisdom. To another, a word of knowledge. Um, uh, so, uh, someone may have some particular insight from the Spirit that God gives and is really useful for his church. And they may never have it again. You, you can't set up a words of knowledge ministry around them. So that's not how God works. I've just a couple of times myself had really strong what I felt was absolutely unmistakable uh, presentiment of something that was going on that I couldn't have known by any other way as far as I can tell than simply God um, telling me, impressing it on my heart. Just a couple of times. Um, and validated actually by it becoming clear that it was true later on. But I'd be a fool if I thought every presentiment that comes into my mind is straight from the Spirit of God. I'd be an idiot. There's plenty of foolishness that comes out of my mind. Plenty of stuff that isn't from the Spirit of God. God doesn't necessarily give settled gifts to people. That may well apply to gifts of healing as well. Even perhaps gifts of faith as I described it earlier. It's because someone is used by God to heal a person on one, uh, uh, on one occasion. We shouldn't build a, um, uh, a shrine around them and get thousands of people to come to, uh, 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 to be healed. Ridiculous. Spirit that did it. Spirit goes where he wants. And he may use another person next time. So what I want you to see from this is not to get too hung up about this gift or that or whether even I have this gift or that. What I want you to see though 
is that God in his wisdom amongst his people gives an enormous variety of gifts. Sometimes subtle gifts on people, sometimes gifts that move around in one sense. An enormous variety of them. Do we honour that full variety of gifts? Every church will have its favourites, I suspect. Wouldn't it be difficult for us to think about what our favourite gifts as a church are? Bible teaching would have to be reasonably high, wouldn't it? And, you know, that's good. That's valuable. That's important. It's a central ministry of the church in the New Testament that, that, that we seek to understand the Bible and to teach it to one another so that, we can, uh, so that we can live it. It's absolutely vital, but it is not the only gift. That's the point. You know, this church has been blessed by people with profound wisdom given by God. This church has been blessed by, by, by people who, who have, have come to me or sometimes other people and they say, I, you know, I, I, I'm not certain about this, but I feel God might be saying whatever. And uh, we've sought to weigh that. This church has been blessed enormously by people with humble gifts that they have exercised diligently. It's not necessarily a, um, a, you don't necessarily need a gift of cleaning to clean a church, but a but a meticulous type of personality. It's a great advantage. And there are people whom God has gifted in that way, who use those gifts, and we benefit. God gifts his church. And let me ask you a particular question which I think is of of relevance to us. Do we expect the miraculous? Because there's no getting around it. Um, A significant proportion of those gifts are absolutely miraculous. Gifts of healing, for instance. And it's very easy in our, in our sceptical, cynical, western world to think miracles could never happen amongst us. Well, I think they are already. In all sorts of ways. There may be a real danger that we quench that, that the enjoyment of them, even the experience of them, because that cynicism just breaks in. If we believe in a God who is sovereign over his whole creation, upholding all things by his powerful word, who can, who can change things just like that, 
we must be people who intrinsically are looking for the miraculous. A spiritual community then, it honours God. Not our gifts, not their gifts. God gives what he gives amongst us. It is, a, it is a community that celebrates and uses a diversity of gifts spread abroad amongst us. Rich diversity of gifts. And it is a community that uses everyone's gift. There is a, a, an important and interesting phraseology that comes out uh, a, a few times. Once in verse 7. Now to each one the manifestation, that is the showing, uh, that to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given. To each one. And it, it is difficult to avoid the implication that every single one of you has, if you are a believer here, has a gift that the Spirit has given you particularly that displays the Spirit's work in your life. Every single person. Different for every single person. But real for every single person too. And then he repeats it um, in verse 11. Uh, all of these work are worked by the same Spirit, which he, he gives them, these gifts, to each one, just as he determined. Every person... There's another bit of phraseology which, which uh, leads us in that direction in verse 6 as well. There are different kinds of working but the same God works all of them in all. It's not all men, it's just all. It's all people. Okay? So just as there, there are different kinds of gift in one spirit and different kinds of service in one Jesus. There, is, there are different kinds of empowering in one God and he empowers in those different ways everyone, all. See how important that is for, for any community that is inclined to think there are a few gifted people that you put up the front and play music and preach and all of those sorts of things and the rest of us are just the, the, the extras. That is not the case in a true spiritual community. It's gifting to all. Every single person has their gift. You have at least one gift which God has given you. And the final thing that the Apostle makes very clear. Those gifts given by God, diverse in all sorts of ways, spread actually to every single individual person, are for, as he puts it, the common good. Each one, the manifestation of the Spirit, verse 7, is given for the common good. In other words, it's not for you. We say later that, 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 that tongues, and by extension other things that are, 
that are just about you and your relationship with God. With, with God, they're, they're, they're of value, but they're, they're they're of minimal value compared with gifts that really can be exercised for the common good to help everybody. A truly spiritual community, you see, is devoted to helping one another to serve God together. We are, in that sense, inward-looking. Not inward-looking in order to ignore the world, but inward-looking to strengthen and encourage and deepen uh, and inspire one another to serve corporately in the name of Jesus in the world. We gather here on a Sunday um, to strengthen the body of Christ, to serve Christ in Christ's name in the wider world. More of that uh, um, next week, but we must see it this week as we introduce this topic of gifts from God. They're not for me, they're for us to enjoy. Now, I've been wrestling myself with this passage of Scripture and particularly wrestling with what that means for us then. You probably sat here, if you've read 1 Corinthians 12 before, you've probably sat here and you've thought there's nothing new here. I've heard this all before. And I've been asking the Lord, what does this mean for us? Let me, let, let me suggest a few things that it may mean specifically for us if we are to be more the community of God's people that God has called us to be. One, I think for, for us as leaders, this is, I'll speak to my fellow leaders but we can all hear it. For us, for us as leaders, there is a big danger that actually what we do is we fit all the people into a predetermined programme. So we know what we want to do and you've just got to fit in. And there is a sense in which that is just necessary and important. But there is, a, there is a, a sense in which, as God's people, we can overdo that and we can miss the fact that God has decided what gifts there should be amongst us. He decided that. And so we might actually not be very gifted in a particular area. It probably means God's not calling us to, to, to work in that area. We might be extraordinarily gifted in another area and it probably means God is calling us to use our gifts very strongly in that area. Now you can take that too far. There is an obligation, for instance, on all of us to teach God's word to children. So if I hear that we haven't got enough 
gifted uh, teachers for junior church, I say, well, actually, we're lying. Because scripture is absolutely clear. God calls us to teach our youngsters the truths of scripture and what he calls us to do, he equips us to do. So there are ways in which leaders rightly should say, no, God just calls us to do this and we're going to find out who is equipped to do it. But we must never think that that is the only thing we do. We must also listen carefully to how God is gifting us and seek God's guidance as to where we should go together. Second thing. This, this, this time a personal one for you and for me. Are you using the gifts God has given you for the common good, as he puts it. I've struggled this week um, and been praying for myself and asking myself that question and become uh, increasingly convicted that, that there are probably some changes that I need to make. You can ask me personally what they are. Uh, if you like but for myself I am convinced that in certain areas I'm probably trying to do things that God's just not called me to do in certain areas actually he's given me a gift that, that I need to use what about you? And here's, if you forget everything else, here's one thing that I want to say, which doesn't come from this passage at all, and I think that's one of the reasons why I've been wrestling this week particularly, because it doesn't come from this passage, you know, I think it's a vital and important thing that we need to hear. And you can call it a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom or a prophecy or the ravings of a demented pastor, whatever you want, you think it is. But let me, let me say it to you. I've been asking God, what, what is it that stops people exercising the gifts that God has clearly given them? And I think the strongest answer amongst us is not that somehow... You know, the church is not encouraging those gifts. 